Hello, and welcome back to the Vanquisher's Guide. I'm your host, Bryce. I'm here, and I'm Bradley. And I am also here, and I'm Randy. Oh, man. I almost stuttered for a bit. You sure you're really here? I almost said, and I wish I wasn't here, but that's not Oh, no. That's so (laughs) sad. It's so sad, man. There's nowhere better to be than here. I I, I pulled it back at the last second. but (laughs) Jumped out of that hole right before you dug it, man. Just barely. Pretty good. Pretty good. Well... This week is a, a pretty special one. I, I really liked researching this one and diving into it. And that's really just because I've really been on kind of a Stranger Things uh, kick lately. Because, nice. no surprise, I've been enjoying season four. Wait, what? Straight season four is out? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a great season, by the way. Uh, we're going to be kind of covering the Demogorgon today. And so with that, we're going to look at like the Demogorgon throughout history a little bit. And then also kind of his inspiration for Stranger Things. Or kind of in uh, the source material of like D&D. And then we're also going to do a significant portion on Stranger Things. So Excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be know great. Some amount about the guy from... Stranger Things and literally nothing else. So, oh man, this is going to be very, very interesting. I knew a like a tiny portion of the D and D thing and nothing else. So that's okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And then we got a resident expert here. Oh yes. man, I I mean I started out just very much the way that you guys were, in which like I you know I I've watched all the seasons of Stranger Things, so I knew a fair amount about the Demogorgon. And uh, I knew that the the guy in D and D did exist. He was factual. He does. He's a thing, and I knew that. And I actually did not know that there was a like historical Demogorgon, almost kind of like a deity figure, which is very yeah. interesting to dive into. I definitely, when I watched, I remember watching the first uh, season of Stranger Things, and I a hundred percent assumed that they just made up a creature for the show. And then claimed that it was a D&D creature just because, like, oh, yeah, they're playing D&D. And it just so happens the creature that they're talking about in D&D is actually now coming at them. And so, like, I thought they totally just made up a creature in D&D. Did not realize that they were just, like, equating this thing in real life to a kind of counterpart in D&D. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, don't you know that D&D is actually based off of historical? Yeah, stuff? I did not know that. Yeah. A lot of Amara, yeah. which is like pretty cool and like super props to Desert of the Coast. So, like, no, oh, I was surprised. referring more to like Onward, the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where oh. it's like literally like <laughs> out of the history. Well, or not quite like that, but <laughs> uh, it, it, was, uh, it was pretty good regardless. Yeah. So just to kind of jump right into it, you know, everybody knows pretty much about the Demogorgon, I think from stranger things you know you've seen pictures of it it's famous like flower fleshy flap face you know and face only a mother can love yeah maybe not <laughs> even a mother and like uh, you know that like uh it had its associations with D. you know i myself like we were talking about had to do like a quick google search right after i heard that name just to check right. and i don't think like hardly anybody really knows about the the demogorgon in, in history so 
to figure out and to start at the very beginning of this, we're going to go to what is the Demogorgon historic historically. So historically, it is a powerful deity or a demon associated with the underworld. So mm. still pretty on track. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, this is kind of where things get a little bit confusing, so you have to kind of just stick with me. So, although the Demogorgon is often attributed to Greek mythology, this is actually incorrect. It Dang actually it. most likely stems, or this sentiment most likely stems from an unknown copyist misreading of a commentary by a 4th century scholar. Uh, I'm going to try my best. Mm. Lacantius, uh, Placidius. And sure. I that, was saying that name so wrong in my head. I, I, I mean, like, I could very well like, be wrong as well. Lactation? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. not the name I would choose for him, but you know, whatever <laughs> works. Maybe maybe uh, things were a little bit different back then, and it was very flattering. Yeah, you know, the name Lactation, really all the rage back in the <laughs> 200s. Yeah, but uh, Placidius, uh, he did like a commentary on the poem uh I believe it's called The Bade, and pretty much we're already off to a rocky start in which the term Demogorgon is actually just like a misreading from this uh, commentary. Awesome. Yeah, the actual like term that was presumed to be misread is the Demiurge, which is a pretty awesome like conceptual, uh, like theological, like supreme being kind of idea just to delve into that a little bit because we could do an entire podcast on the demiurge very cool uh creature is that the demiurge is basically it's like a supreme being kind of in that it did not create the universe and more sculpted it so like it might have like sculpted our neck of the woods our neck of the woods and maybe all the planets and stuff like that but there is supposedly in that like uh, line of thinking, there would be a being even above that that actually created all of the matter in the universe. So it's more like a sculptor rather than the person who makes the clay. Mm. So if the Demogorgon did not come from Greek mythology, where is the lorical epicenter for the Demogorgon? I was a so, fancy way of saying that. Oh man, <laughs> I'm... I hope the word lorical is actually real. I, Google Docs is not calling me out on it, so I'm going to go with it. If uh, Mr. Platicius can make up Demogorgon out of nowhere, I think you're good with lorical. You just, <laughs> let's just pretend like it's a thing. Everyone just start using it, and it'll catch on, and it'll become a thing. Just going a little, not. little bit wacky on this episode, <laughs> making up whatever we want. <laughs> All words are made up. Let's, it's just... It's a true. Process. I mean, you, you could say any word is fake if you really wanted to, but you shouldn't. But so if we look at the earliest variations of the commentary that we we're talking about before, we see a possible connection to Bokakio. I hope that's really what his name is. <laughs> I don't mean to offend anybody, but he had a book that was uh, Genealogica uh, Thorium. Uh, gentilium and this in english that i can actually properly pronounce is yeah. on the genealogy of the gods of the gentiles so mm. this is basically a, a book uh, almost like an encyclopedia type thing of the genealogical analysis of the pantheons of 
ancient Greek and Roman gods. So it sounds like a pretty good read, honestly. And so in uh, this guy's uh, book, he actually cites a lost work by Theodontus, who also mm. acknowledged a Byzantine source, uh, Prontipedes the Athenian, as the authority for the idea that the Demogorgon is the precursor of all the gods. So at this point, you might be feeling a bit lost, and I wouldn't blame you because this is a lot of like, oh, he said this, and I'm pretty sure he's an expert on this, and I'm just going to reference this guy who referenced this guy who referenced this guy, so we're like several literary levels deep. <laughs> but so pretty much all you really need to know is that the Demogorgon is pretty much considered like a precursor being to most gods, at least, and is a very powerful being. Epic. And I actually found there was a art historian, and he gave a quote. His name is uh, Jean Sanchez. And nice. I think he uh, put it very well. And he says, the Demogorgon is a grammatical error become God. And what a better upgrade than that. Like, I don't think you can really beat that. So uh, some also cool, just kind of historical names that the Demogorgon was known as throughout history and kind of those historical literary works would be the supreme being of the threefold world, the supreme demogorgon, the demon gorgon, terror demon, and god of the earth. So these are all pretty epic, like badass names, man. Dude's already yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> it sounds like at least with a couple of those names, especially the demon gorgon makes it sound like he's more closely related to the, uh, gorgons from greek mythology like the people yeah. with snake heads so almost like i wonder if it's just purely coincidence or i mean to be fair i don't know what the word gorgon means in greek so maybe there's a reason for that because of what it means but it's interesting just that how close the names are to me with yeah them not really being the same thing i would also, really oh go for it no, go for it. I was no, you say, go for it. <laughs> I was going to say, I have heard of the threefold world before, and I was like, where is that coming from? And that's actually a Buddhist um, ideology. Oh, is um, it really? So that's why I was kind of confused, because like, I don't think that's, you know, like a Mediterranean thing. So I, yeah. I did do a quick search, and yeah, everything's com that's coming up is... Um, Huh. Like mm -hmm. the, like, yeah, Buddhist um, ideologies. So, yeah, I'm, well, I'm wondering where, that's like, if that's like specifically a translation, like a translational error, or like there's influence coming from Asia. But, yeah, anyways, thought I'd add well, in my random knowledge. No, and that's incredibly fascinating. And uh, I would add that a lot of these names are just kind of plucked out of like various time periods. Yeah, so okay. basically, okay. as we see the Demogorgon progress through history, it becomes less of a deity and more of just like a classical demon. So I think as we progress through the ages, like, you know, all the religions kind of get mixed up and tossed around and everybody gets their fingers in the pie, so to speak. And so, you know, take a little bit that's, of this, give a little bit of that. That sounds familiar. I feel like we've uh, run across that in several other things where... Mm -hmm where cultures just kind of blend together and you end up getting a weird amalgamation creature that doesn't really have any origin. And it's just confusing. 
Yeah, kind yeah. of like what you were talking about uh, a couple weeks ago with like the Phoenix yeah. stuff. Very, very much, very similar. Very nebulous where it comes mm-hmm. from. But as with most of our monsters, it seems like almost every single historical monster we go through, it's interesting how the monster starts out as something and then it gets taken up by like Christian authors or Christian sources and it becomes... Classic. Every time. Pretty different. It's uh, kind of shocking how much that happens. Like, um, tale as old as time. Yeah. So, specifically in like these cases, he would become like the Demogorgon would become less primordial and more of just like a simple demon of hell. Right. Um, some writers would ascribe him to being like the master of fate in hell's hier- hierarchy, which is <laughs> pretty awesome. You know, at least he's doing something down there, right? It's interesting. Because like, if there's a master of fate in hell, and then some cultures, not all of them, but some cultures then have like a god or some holy deity that's in charge of fate as well. So then, are they competing? Both of them, yeah. How are they like? Are they just trying to fight back and forth? And that's why like good things happen sometimes, and then bad things happen to people sometimes, and they're just like going back and forth because the good fates are trying to pull everyone's lives better and make them more uh peaceful and the bad face just trying to pull everybody down and it's just be- co- this cosmic tug of war going back and forth it's like the most neat. epic wikipedia article like editor battle <laughs> you know <laughs> somebody goes in edits it and then the other guy looks at it and is like that's not what it is at all who's this oh. joker just messing with my fate this is so wrong. Let's let's scratch that. Start over from scratch. Writes the whole thing all over again. Okay, this is gonna be perfect. And the next person, the person comes back. Who messed with my work. What the heck, dude? It was perfect. I gotta do all that work again. There you go. That's why my life is a mess. Is because the fates are just pulling it back and forth. It's not my You're fault. Just pushing and pulling on it. There you well, go. It's also interesting because, like, as Christian authors are writing this, right? It's interesting to see how differently like christians back then viewed things as to now because now i feel like like a huge majority of christians are all about like free will and fate just not existing not being a thing and so i don't know if it's specifically the christian writers at that time were just translating and not having these stories coming up or if this was like because i mean early christians did believe in other like in demons and other pantheons pantheons and stuff so i'm i'd be interested to know like where they were coming from with this yeah Yeah. maybe it's just uh exclusively referencing to like the fate of hell you know maybe god's got dominion over everything else (laughs) but he's just he's just the guy that's like all right so and uh that section in three centuries, we're going to remodel that and become, and that's going to become this. And, and then over there, we're going to have to redo that because we're going to have to shift everything around. He's just, so he's, he's really just the master. Just, he's really just like a, some like construction worker. Like. Uh, but he's the master of it. He's the person in charge and he's remodeling hell one day at a time. Take down the fiery gates. We're going to put up the, the, I don't know anything else about it. Thorny gates. Thorny gates. Yeah. <laughs> and three centuries later, nah, putting back the fiery gates. Those ones were better than <laughs> it got too dark. Uh-huh. Just an absolute hellish interior decorator. <laughs> yeah. 
and he's but, just constantly remodeling so that way there's constantly people being like oh we have to do this again we just <laughs> did this he's definitely not popular now yeah uh-huh. but uh i did find one kind of uh lyrical expert excerpt from uh a poem that was written by bernardo uh de Buluna. bernardo poem, uh yeah and so in his poem he he writes about the demogorgon and i thought this was a pretty nice kind of cap on the historical kind of side of our nice podcast so he writes here demogorgon is sitting on his fatal bench whose decree of the supreme causes is kept by involuable and heavenly precept the fates in their delicate yarn to whose spin spindle the world is subject the ugly death and the lucid life and the black lake of dark oblivion talk about talk about abstract yeah (laughs) very cool but uh very abstract try and parcel out what that means please yeah there's a lot of a lot of pretty pretty crazy terms but we'll move on now to the D and D version of the Demogorgon. Ah. So, when I was looking up this guy, he did not look at all what I thought he would look like. Cause yeah, I, I pretty much put it into Google Images, and I kept on getting this like weird thing with like tentacles for arms and like mandrel faces, and I was like, "What is this horrible being?" But, <laughs> It's a little bit confusing to me that this is what the creature looks like, and the kids in the show saw that thing, and they're like, it's a Demogorgon. It's like, these things are very different. Like, they look <laughs> nothing alike. I don't know where you're getting this, the likeness, but I don't see it. Yeah, to be fair, I think his design has kind of changed over oh, time. Okay. Well, I mean, but that would be, that being said, this show was in the old, like, the show was set years ago and so yeah in like the 80s has it has it changed to be more like or less like the show version um well if you can remember this in general uh i think it's just kind of like different in general if you remember like the scene where they had like the demogorgon figure Mm -hmm. at least from that like not super detailed figure it kind of almost looked like just a weird snake man two-headed thing gotcha you know but the Demogorgon is a pretty prevalent kind of character in D&D. And much like his historical version, the Demogorgon is a powerful demon lord and lesser deity of the Abyss. So kind of interesting how those go hand in hand, in which he's a demon lord, but he's also a lesser deity. Just really right. goes to show the power levels we're dealing with, I guess. So it is also commonly referred to as the Prince of Demons or the Imprisoned One or even Limugogun. It's because every time people see him, they're running away while they're calling his name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and if uh, anybody's wondering, yes, it does have that many O's and G's and E's. Yeah. It's I thought when weird. you were first saying it, you were starting to say Leroy Jenkins, and I was like, all right. <laughs> oh, weird, weird, weird like joke to toss in there, but okay, to teach their own, but that's uh that makes way more sense. Yeah, so that entire ridiculous name just means the deep father. So mm. what language is that in, please tell me. I'd love to know. Oh, is that in uh, French or uh 
it is a uh, a specific D and D race. I f- I forget. It escapes my mind currently. But oh, so it is actually in like like a does it does have a in D and D language associated with it? Uh, I believe so. It always has like oh. a race that like kind of worships him. I I was assuming it was probably be abyssal because uh man abyssal must be a weird place to live seriously everybody's just doing lots of o's and so many double o's double e's double g's well tigger would love it right because it's gonna be like because tieflings right they know that language and then it's just a bunch of like demons and like spaghetti monster stuff so i mean they're Mm. the way that they talk isn't gonna be the same as like humans right so it's just gonna be a lot more like I'm not gonna pretend like I'm gonna speak abyssal, but you know, yeah. a lot of uh, like serpentine, maybe. I don't know. Everyone yeah. knows that octopus beings can't pronounce hard R's, and so they just replace <laughs> it with an O. Easy. <laughs> we'll just get around all the words we or letters we can't pronounce. Mm-hmm. Their alphabet is only you... actually like six letters, but it's like, <laughs> multi- like it's twenty six characters but they all like there's just tons of e's tons of o's that just mean different things if you can't pronounce the letter just replace it with an o or a g yeah. easy or two. solution <laughs> or two just throw in a couple of uh, other letters you can pronounce and just pretend like that's how it was this letter is one o this letter is two o's <laughs> this letter is three o's they're all different though <laughs> could you imagine you're having a word where like six letters in a row were all having to get replaced and just ended up being like 17 o's in a row it's like oh yeah don't worry it makes sense if you think about it oh man i hate writing out those words <laughs> but even though the the title of the prince of demons is self-proclaimed by the demogorgon itself wow. it does stand true as no demon has challenged it has ever defeated the demogorgon so he's kind of undefeated master at this point it's pretty uh presumptuous to give himself that title but i mean hey, i guess if you can back, I mean, if it, you up, can back it up yeah why not who's gonna tell you different but it has been challenged by other demons it sounds like based off of mm. that right yeah from when i was reading okay. of its history it uh it's been through quite the many oh, okay. battles with that it would have been hilarious and such if it had given itself that name and all the other demons like okay i i don't care like and so <laughs> it it kept that title for the, all this time because nobody challenged it because nobody cared about the title. They're just like, good for you, dude. Go for it. Like, nobody cares. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I got this title. Amazing. Kept it for <laughs> thousands of years. And it's like, okay. And they're all like, you're no prince of mine. Yeah. Uh, I didn't vote you in. You're not my prince. <laughs> <laughs> Did we ever elect this guy? I don't think so. <laughs> They're very uh, democratic down in hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, surprising. You would never guess. Yeah, very civilized actually. <laughs> but as for what the D and D version of the Demogorgon looks like, uh, it is a towering being coming in at a quite tall, eighteen feet tall. Wow. It also possesses a pretty unique body that is both uh, sinuous like a snake and powerful like a great ape. Yeah, those it's, two things work really well together. Yeah, it's really a weird combination. You wouldn't like think <laughs> that this like super muscular, like bulky kind of looking creature is also very agile. And I guess that's mostly doing to the fact that it has like tentacles for arms. Yeah, which really kind of gives it a unique appearance. But it does possess two distinct heads that bear resemblance to a baboon's, or sometimes specifically a mandrill's. And at this point, I'm already hating this guy, man. 
<laughs> honestly, like monkeys are great. I just don't like them. Like nothing personal. It's just they'll, they'll probably just rip my face off if they can get to it. I honestly, think it. I think it might be partially because of the uh, Tarzan movie, but of Maybe. all monkeys. I dislike baboons the most. I feel like they are by far the scariest, freakiest looking, weirdest monkeys in the animal kingdom. So the yes. fact that he specifically has like baboon heads, it's like, all right, yeah, this guy is ugly, creepy, all kinds of weird, messed up. Like, so. I, honestly, I think I'd rather fight like a bear than a baboon. Right? <laughs> like, give him any other monkey head and I'd be like, okay, like, sure. But baboon head, it's like, come on, why? Why? Yeah. Terrible. That's the worst head to give him. It's absolutely the worst. And I guess it really goes to his, like, just really freakish and imposing presence. Yeah. Like, you would think if you wanted it to be, like, super imposing, you'd go with Gorilla. But no, yeah. no. Go with the creep factor instead. Yeah, definitely. But its arms are also long, and they're forked into two kind of powerful tentacles. Its lower torso is also more reptilian, bearing a blue green kind of scaly skin and its tail is also forked so it kind of has like a a do like a a duo or like divided kind of aesthetic to him in which he has like yeah. two heads two tentacles on each arm and like technically kind of two tails <laughs> pretty interesting but perhaps the most interesting and unique feature of the demogorgon is that each of its two heads has its own name and personality you say that's unique, but then I think um, Monty Python on the Holy Grail and the knight with two heads, <laughs> or three heads oh, and three yeah. heads, and they all have their own personality. Well, that's not yeah. a D&D &D creature. It's what are you not, doing? You're cheating. I have no memory of that thing <laughs> <What>? existing. <laughs> yes, I, I, I briefly remember that. It's been a while since I've seen that. It's okay, it's I have, yeah. a second scene in a really long movie of every scene is a completely different movie basically i have almost so no true. memory of that movie i haven't i haven't watched it in so long Man, only memory i have it's it's so weird though the only one i remember is the scene with the guy running up to the castle and like he's like super like far away for like 10 minutes and then all of a sudden he's like there instantly <laughs> best scene in the entire movie the only one worth remembering the rest is eh freaking awesome movie man <laughs> I, I think you're massively underrating it like it's got some perhaps jokes it's just I don't remember any of them is the problem, I think. Yeah, for sure. But as each of these two heads has its own name and personality, it's, it's pretty interesting because these personalities are very kind of opposite of each other. They hmm. butt heads all the time. I guess if they could kind of maneuver to do that, <laughs> they probably would. Um, and they're constantly arguing and warring with each other, vying for supremacy and kind of control. Hmm. interesting so do they pass the title back and forth between each head when uh, one head beats yeah. the other head it's like ah now i'm the prince and it's like oh man now i they just keep fighting amongst themselves man i wonder <laughs> gotta make sure who you're addressing right yeah 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 no 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 no, no. i'm prince today he lost yesterday oh okay sorry <laughs> sir yeah but the uh left head is named uh a mule and its personality is more charismatic and calculating. Kind oh, of okay. like the brains of the, uh, mm -hmm. the duo. And it favors tactics of deception and desires to break free from its other half. While the right head, on the other hand, is named Hethodia. And it is de 
defined by impulsiveness and feralty. Mm. It relishes in destruction and it wishes to remain together. So it's kind of interesting is that one head, it does not really like the kind of situation that they're going on. Like they probably both don't, but one of them seems to be more okay with that than the other. Like the brains is like, I want to get out of here and be my own person. And the brawn is kind of like, nah, we're sticking together, fam. You and me. that's what I was going to say. It's because the, the brains is like, I could do so much better without you. And the brawn is like, no, 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 no. You're the one who comes up with all the plans. I need you around just so that way we can like keep some good ideas flowing. Other, like I'm fine with smashing stuff, but I need an ideas guy around. And so yeah. we can't split up. I need somebody in the chair. Who's also me in the chair. Exactly. Yeah. But every aspect of the Demogorgon is basically built to weaken and corrode its foes. Its tail would sap the life force out of any living foe, and its tentacles would inflict a very potent withering disease that would cause living beings to simply rot away. It's actually very, very deadly. Like, if you're in-game, you have to cure this pretty much as soon as you can. Otherwise, you're in pretty big danger. Wow. Its gaze can also hypnotize or drive creatures to the depths of terror and madness. Again, it's, it's got baboon faces of course it drives people to madness <laughs> now, i'm terrified man just look who is surprised it. by this <laughs> yeah uh, the demogorgon is also a very accomplished spellcaster and is capable of casting a variety of spells most of them when i was looking at them seemed kind of more on the utility side but i imagine that it's also able to cast some pretty potent combat ones as spell as you're well, in a doubt and you want to make something more powerful yeah just give it magic just give everything right. fireball, man. Yeah, just give it like fireball. multicast or whatever. You can't fight oh, that. It's, it's spells are pretty, yeah, pretty. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So Harsh. I mean, it can like, cast well, spells. Well, it it can, like, I mean, it's nice because it can like dispel magic and stuff. So like, if you do anything like long term to it, it can stop itself. It looks like it's got like feeble mind and fear. So again, going with like the scare you kind of thing. I can mm-hmm. make cool projections, telekinesis. But the coolest power that it has... Oh, it has telekinesis? Thing. It does have telekinesis. And it what has the what else? Thing? Um, it can plane shift, which is... Oh, oh true. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay, so maybe that's where like the real connection between the show version and the D&D version is. is like, I... Th- and I actually that that might actually be something that they mentioned in the show, and I just don't remember now that the, <laughs> you mentioned that. But like that does feel like a pretty major connection between the two of like it's this creature that can jump between planes at will, and so not to mention that also in game they had just encountered it. So then when they encounter a creature that can do it in real life, they're like, oh, it's this thing. They well, don't look alike, also, but they function similarly. It's apparently the only demon that can do it. So even if it looks right. different than the D and D, being able to do that would definitely be a right. giveaway. Oh, it's pretty it like defining. Like, of yeah, it. look looking at the strange. Right. Like even if it doesn't look the same, by being able right. to, do that, yeah. So that's that's pretty interesting. Good call. Yeah, huh. and as I think we see the, the connection. Yeah, and as we head into like the Stranger Things section of our podcast, a little bit of a spoiler warning for this: if you haven't seen season four or any of Stranger Things for that matter, I'd probably say go ahead and get on that and watch that and yeah. maybe finish this. But if not, then... So I would so, say... So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. so, I'm going to pause the podcast real yeah. time. I'm going to pause it <laughs> so I can go watch three seasons that I've missed. See you later, Brad. 
Hey, Stranger Things is worth it, man. Show's great. Now, that being said, yeah, it, it is very good. Sorry, I don't want to make that sound like I was contradicting what you were saying. Uh, very good show. I will say, though, I feel like a large portion, though I don't know what all you uh, have in store, a large portion of, like, the Demogorgon information and, and, like, interactions we get from them is in the earlier seasons. So if yeah. you, like, have watched season one, two, and maybe even three and just haven't watched the new season, you're probably fine. Like, it's... Until the we get to like the theorization part. Sure. Probably. Yeah, yeah. When we start theorizing, but most of the Demogorgon interactions and like most of the lore that they get into really gets dialed in in the first couple of seasons. So yeah, like one and two mainly. Yeah. But we also might see some kind of more connections to the D and D version, which will be pretty neat. Excellent. To see. I think that's so, really interesting. Yeah, like. Initially, you would think there's not that much of a connection, mm -hmm. but as we go through, we'll probably see some more parallels, which is pretty awesome. So, on to Stranger Things. Uh, this version of the Demogorgon appears as a tall and lanky, almost sickly-looking creature. And actually, it looks very creepy, mm -hmm. but maybe not terribly imposing when you first see it until you actually see it in action, and then you're like, very. oh no. They're also quite tall. They come in at between like six to ten feet tall. The one in season one, particularly, I believe, is nine and a half feet tall. So kind of more up there. That's yeah, huge. Yeah. Also, apparently, um, there's so there's multiple of these things. Uh, Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Is, um, I mean, you kind of learn that in like season two that they kind of have yeah. to, like your own like life cycle. Yeah, that we'll get into. It's a race of creatures or, or a species of creatures, not one particular entity. That is yes. Horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's actually like very terrifying to know mm -hmm. more. Is that like his home dimension is called the upside down? It's kind of like a parallel of the real world, except everything is covered in gross vines and it's all messed up and everything's just kind of terrible there. Yeah. To be, to be real. And so it just makes upside down that more, much more terrifying to know that there is more of these horrible yeah. things. There's, there's creatures like, like this animal. running around in the dark. Yeah. Which that so. is something that I feel like is kind of a little bit of a missed opportunity to me is like they go into the upside down so many times and you never like see one of these guys just like stalking around in the background, just like doing their thing. You never just see them like kind of like, like, uh, Sasquatching through the forest in the background, just walking, walking around, <laughs> minding his own business. I like how that's. A you never see it. I mean, it's, it's it perfectly encapsulates that it mode does. of walking and like looking at the camera, and just uh. So, <laughs> but they never really use that to uh, yeah. the extent that I wish that they would, because it's like it's if it's supposed to be a species of creatures that exist. I mean, theoretically, you should at least like see them off in the distance and be like, "Yo, there's one over there. Like, let's go the other way and." Watch out. So Perhaps. they do that with other creatures, but not these yes. guys. Perhaps like the Demogorgon is more of like a very territorial, like, kind of lone lone wolf kind of creature, That's you true. know, in which it doesn't really like others of its species. Yeah. So And it's it's That's possible that like, yeah, there just hasn't been one that's moved into the territory of the one from the first season. Yeah. Because so. they they did take care of that one. And I mean, if when we get to like later, later seasons, is that they had one in Russia, right? 
true. Yeah. So and maybe they pulled that one from like a rift on their side. Yeah, it's possible. And I think it's interesting though, like and something that when I was watching in the show, I was kind of confused by because I was wondering if it was a different species or something, something was wrong with it or something because of like how different they look. But I think it's interesting. It seems like they specifically made sure that the one in Russia is a lot more pale. It's like more of a whitish pinkish kind of color compared to the one in this first season where it's a lot darker color. I think they did that specifically to like show this is a different one. Like it's, it's not the same creature that just like survived and like is still living its life. It's a different version. It's a it's a new guy, which I think is neat. Like very, they all they did all they really did is just change its color, but it's enough an, to make sure you know yeah. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, definitely. And you really kind of wonder like how many are there? Yeah, right. But all of the shades of the rainbow. Yeah, there's a there's a pink one and a green one yeah, and a red yeah. one and a blue one. But we'll kind of also hop into the life cycle of the Demogorgon. It's pretty interesting is that we see a lot of this kind of played out through season two. Mm -hmm. So the killing machine that we all know and love from season one was not born a super like badass killer, you know? What a shame. The Demogorgons actually come from quite humble, maybe even some could say pathetic beginnings. (laughs) I've heard that before. No. (laughs) Um, so we should also note that like much of the information that we get from the Demogorgon is just through like observing the show. There's no like really like scientific thesis on like Demogorgons at all at this point. So I mean, as like the final season comes out, we could be wrong. You know? Right. But, could be that this is a little bit off. Maybe it's not all one creature. It could be like different sub varieties or something like that, but Seems to be that this is the way it goes, I guess. This is kind of like how our understanding at the moment is. But uh, we do know is that as far as we can tell that there appears to be six distinct stages of life for the Demogorgon. And while we do see some large yellow, almost like kind of aliens-esque style eggs in the show, um, that appear in like the Demogorgon's natural habitat, the upside down. And it is possible that these are Demogorgon eggs. It's more likely that the Demogorgon's life begins with the depositing of eggs or larvae inside of a host creature by way of like a long tentacle. And we kind of get a little bit of this in that like the very first scene that we see the Demogorgon in, he's actually eating one of these eggs. So it could be that cannibalistic, but... It's just kind of more likely that yeah. they they kind of infect a host with like some eggs and then it kind of incubates inside of them. It would make sense to me that this is like a different species egg that the Demogorgon is munching on. Yeah. And like the life cycle that we think we know is accurate or at least mostly accurate. And we just see him munching on something else because, again, it's the upside down. It's it's its own ecosystem of creatures, so presumably there's some other creature out there that's got eggs, and so maybe it's just that. Really makes that you being wonder, said, what creature is that? That's, I was just going to say, that being said, I don't want to see the creature <laughs> that comes out of an egg that size if the Demogorgon is coming out of, is growing up from what it starts as and becomes this big creature. What has eggs that size and well, coming out of it? Knowing that it comes from humble and potentially even pathetic beginnings... Uh-huh. It doesn't come from hum- humble right. 
beginnings. Maybe like, that must be terrifying. Yeah. Or maybe <laughs> it's like the upside down version of like a whale, where it's like it's a or big like a creature, cow. but it's like yeah, it's totally harmless. Big creature like comes from a really large egg and it gets big, large, fast. Big, large, fast. But uh, it, it never really becomes much of a threat because it's just like a useless livestock kind of a creature. Just, just sucking on some like nasty uh-huh. clouds and some space lightning. You know? Delicious. Why not? But uh, kind of one of the specific instances in which we see the pretty like the actual defined life cycle of the demogorgon is with the character will and will in the show is found in the upside down with a tentacle in his mouth and uh, i believe one of his parents that like saves him with another character of the show actually go in and they pull the tentacle out and then they bring him back Mm. but as we kind of head into like season two, we see that all is not right with Will. That Will later vomits up a kind of slug-like creature. And we can assume that this is basically Demogorgon larva. Right. And it, it is pretty large for like a slug. You know, it's not super tiny. And it possesses a kind of greenish black membrane membrane with yellow spots. Delicious. Absolutely. I mean, it's like uh, like that one spell in Harry Potter, right? Eat slugs. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is the weirdest. It's like, what is the purpose, the useful quality of that spell in that universe? I don't understand it. I would say never underestimate the potency of that spell, man. <laughs> I... But just, that's just me. I don't understand. Could you imagine in like a combat i guess to be fair it would be pretty dis- disorienting i was gonna say could you imagine in a combat situation and all of a sudden you got slugs in your mouth like yeah how do you, how would do you, you? you can't yeah. there's no counter no. you just lose but uh we do see what this larva then becomes it evolves into basically stage two which is dubbed the polywog and so after an indeterminate amount of Isn't time I think it is. Uh, it's actually a really cute Pokemon. Nice. Yeah. And then it evolves into Poliwhirl, which uh, looks like yeah. it's going to beat your ass. But <laughs> And then it evolves into a Demogorgon, and that's where Pokemon doesn't show the final evolution. Well, <laughs> Poliwogs are also just like a, a different name for like a, a tadpole. Po- tadpole? Tad? Yes. It's kind of like a... Uh, it's like the... Tadpool. The... <laughs> evolved form of a frog not evolved like the life cycle form of a frog after tadpole mm-hmm. i believe in which it has like its little arms but it still has like its little little tadpole tail you know but they stole that from pokemon no <laughs> <laughs> but uh so this larva becomes a polywog after it molts to a larger yellow green blob looking creature and it possesses at this point two small claw-like hands and a long lizard-like tail during this stage, they're still quite small. Some would consider them cute. I personally find them disgusting, but that's just yeah. me. And they are still small enough to fit into the palm of a hand at this stage. And in this stage, we kind of see the manifestations of the Demogorgon's signature weakness, that being their sensitivity to heat. But at this point, it's like so extreme. And they're so like um, vulnerable to this. That even like a desk lamp could cause some severe pain i mean i can kind of uh get behind them on that one and attest the 
heat of a desk lamp. I never yeah, really thought they were ripping, were, right. I never thought they were actually that hot. Everyone's like, "Oh, you gotta watch out! Like, you don't want to put anything, leave anything above a lamp because it'll light it on fire." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, sure." But uh, I actually, <laughs> well, I mean, I had a desk lamp that didn't have a lampshade for a while, and yeah. it was just so blinding. And I was like, "I just that's it's too much. I can't handle it." So I draped like a like a dish rag over top of it, and it was like oh, perfect. No. It, it it drowned it out after about half an hour, maybe not that long. Smoke started just pouring off the top of it. I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> that's uh, I messed up." So thankfully, it didn't actually catch fire, but it did start singeing the inside of the towel, and I pulled it off, and so totally ruined that towel but can attest that desk lamps do get pretty hot they can be pretty bad if you want to be safe from uh demogorgons just uh <laughs> put a bunch of desk lamps out you mm-hmm. know line your house with desk lamps <laughs> honestly probably wouldn't look like super crazy in that universe really. <laughs> no not when someone's got a bunch of christmas lights strung up with the alphabet yeah it would go right along with it <laughs> You fit right in. <laughs> but as we move on to stage three, they're, they grow again and their skin takes on a dark green color and they, at this point, sprout hind legs and they also begin to form kind of little teeth in their mouth. Oh, and I s- still don't think they'd be terribly um, dangerous in this stage, but kind of getting there. But when we move on to stage four... This one I dubbed the pre-demo dog. And this is after they consume enough food, whether that being Milky Way candy bars or just plain garbage. Yeah. Um, they molt again, but this time they become a kind of small dog-like creature. The proto-dog. Yeah. And in this stage, they develop their signature uh, petal-like mouth that all of the demogorgons have. And they also have a darker and much thicker skin able to withstand a greater degree of heat at this point. Very cool looking design. I think the petal like mouth is very cool. Oh man, it's so cool. Like I love it. Much cooler than a baboon. I'm glad that they didn't keep the baboon (laughs) face. (laughs) Man, honestly, more scary in my opinion, but... I, I still yeah. love the metal mouth. It just kind of speaks more to like an like an eldritch. Yeah, you know, it's more like alien. Yeah, yeah, more more foreign of a design, less of a oh, that's a weird looking creature that look like it makes it seem more like it's from outer space or something like that rather than coming from a lab. Yes, so, yes, that's very true. Which I I like think is cool. Yeah, and then when we move on to stage five, the proper demo dog is when the Demogorgon life cycle kind of takes a turn for the deadly. Mm-hmm. In this stage, they grow significantly to be the size of a large dog, and its skin kind of takes on the familiar sickly Demogorgon hue, which is pretty like dark, but also can be kind of lighter shades. As Randy had said earlier, the one in Russia was like a almost kind of white. So it could blend in with the snow. They're, they're like chameleons. Yeah, maybe. Probably not, though. Probably not, no. But But, it's just an interesting thing. Yeah. Their skin is also much tougher, and they're able to sustain several gunshots in this evolution. And they're able to even tackle a grown person to the ground, and they're much more agile, pretty much able to pursue their prey 
whatever they may go through. So they're uh, they're pretty deadly at this point, and they're so, not even done. Do we know why these guys look sickly and like like malnourished? Um, we don't know for sure, but it could be that upside down is just a nasty place, and yeah. it just kind of sucks to live in. Or it could be uh, to do something with uh, maybe the there's not a lot of nutrition upside down as well. Or we do know that they have they are part of like a hive mind of other creatures, and perhaps that kind of relation to the hive mind. We'll get into this in a in a moment, but their relation to the hive mind maybe could be even detrimental to their own physical kind of state. Yeah. Okay, because my theory was more along the lines of pandas. Pandas? Um, exactly. My thoughts exactly. You're right there. Or is it pa- is it pandas or is it koalas no or is it sloths? It's one of the three. <laughs> Nonetheless, so what might what what one of those? If we take one of those creatures, one of them, uh-huh. and I think it might be pandas because uh, I think it's uh, bamboo is actually or. Whatever the main source of food for one of those creatures devoid, is, right? is not, yeah, it's not what they need to be eating. They're supposed to be eating other kind of food. They need other nutrients, and that's why they're lazy. Um, and so they're not like if, if it's pandas, it's not that they're malnourished looking, but um, it's just interesting that they're like they actively go after something that's not nutritional for them because right. they like it. Um, and so look, you know, maybe in the upside down, they just can't find that nutrition or maybe they just really like eating those eggs or I don't know if they eat humans, but like maybe oh, they, they just do. really like that, but they're not Definitely do. very nutritional for them. So that's kind of my True. thought. Yeah. We're just junk food to them. Yeah. And, and to be fair, although I doubt that this is the real reason, it does seem like anytime we see them like attacking somebody or something, we see them bite the person, but never really eat them. Because I feel like it would be really hard to eat, like, especially, like, without chopping it up, it would hard be hard to, like, take a bite out of something with a mouth like that, with, like, a petal-like kind of mouth. Like, you could definitely, like, mess somebody up and, like, maul them, but trying to, like, bite chunks off with a mouth like that would be very difficult. Do they not have, like, poison or, like, acid saliva that, like, can... Presumably they do. Maybe. I don't know. But... I have seen... You know, yeah, I, but that would to me would make it eat, like again if their like evolution was like made for them to eat big creatures. Yeah. Like that would make sense. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe but... maybe that goes to the, like they're they're not actually getting nutrition from that because they shouldn't be eating humans. Maybe they right. Should, yeah. They're like herbivores or something. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> uh, I do think that they use their hands a lot to like kind of yeah. pull apart their food and like scoop it up okay. in their mouths. Though it is interesting is that like you were saying, Randy, is that. We don't really see the Demogorgon's like mouth really taking chunks out of people. What it does is yeah. it almost kind of like degloves things. I don't know if yeah. that's proper. It's so gross. It's so gross. Yeah. So, like there's like one point where it like bites a dude's head and just like rips off like all the skin and like uh-huh. the meat off of it. It's pretty rough. Yeah. But it's it's usually just like shredding the skin off, not necessarily like actually biting chunks off yeah. of them. So it's like it doesn't seem like the most easy way to eat and it feels like they would yeah yeah, they would be have a hard time getting nutrition out of things things like that but yeah it is very interesting 
but um so after the demagogue demo dog uh stage, demagogue yeah is when they evolve into the proper demogorgon in this stage like we've been talking about they have their signature kind of like five um flapped mouth that almost kind of looks like a flower petal i think they as specific resemblance to that flower that's called like the corpse flower yeah that smells like corpses or like rotting flesh and stuff which is a a very neat design and this uh mouth is also like just filled with hundreds of tiny teeth hence the degloving of someone's face immediately as soon as they bite down on it because it's just a giant petal giant flower thing of teeth biting down on your face yes so not pleasant at all no uh and then one last note about the life cycle is that basically the time between each of these stages is unknown to us and can vary drastically between each stage yeah in our particular instance that we see in the show it takes about nine months to grow from the larval stage to the polywog but then takes less than three days to go from the polywog stage to the demo dog stage. So that's a pretty big dis- disparity, honestly. Right. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, but have we ever actually seen a demo dog go become a full demogorgon? No, or I don't believe so. I didn't think so. So, like, that's, and that's one of those situations I was talking about where it's possible that this is misunderstood and that, like, the mm-hmm. demogorgon and the demodogs are two separate species, though very similar, but they actually yeah. come from two different places. Or it could be that they actually are the same and we've just never seen it. I don't know. It yeah. could be that maybe like the demodog only turns into the demogorgon in very specific circumstances where like if the environment is uh, accommodating and otherwise it stays in the dog form. I don't know. But that's one of those things that I think could change in later seasons one way or the other yeah i mean if you want to take even like the pokemon approach like maybe right? it's like maybe it needs they, a uh yeah stone. it needs like a stone or something like maybe their <laughs> their default stage or evolution is just the box dinner demo dog and then if they get like super powered up by something maybe they become a demogorgon or I know also in the show we have things called demo bats. I'm not sure at all if those are related to the demogorgon, but yeah, they are called demo bats. So maybe. Yeah, that feels like it might be like because we never see that in our example of the life cycle because we like we get a pretty good like walkthrough of at least the demo dog yes. life cycle, and so we never see it be- take on any kind of bat form. So I would say that that probably is just a separate species with a similar naming scheme because it's from the Upside Down, so Demo, whatever. Mm-hmm. But could be. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe when they hit the like little baby larva stage, they have like multiple different branching trees that they could go into, and they just like kind of decide which one they're gonna take. They're given like, yeah. a skill tree, and they're like, "All right, exactly." Do I spec into dog form into? <laughs> bipedal form into flying form which way do i go um so we'll move on now to the abilities of the demogorgons so demogorgons are actually very strong and very tough creatures they can put up with like a lot of punishment and they're strong enough to throw people around with ease 
and they're even able to like force open heavy mechanical doors and break through walls. Uh, we see them also in the show that they're able to shrug off heavy sustained gunfire, as well as showing little response to other methods of attack, save for their one weakness of fire. But even like most forms of fire that we see them get afflicted with don't really do too much, except for maybe if you had like a flamethrower on hand. I mean, because everybody has a flamethrower on hand, so yeah, you that's know. a very practical thing to four years ago. Yeah. Elon Musk was going to give one to like everyone, right? I mean, he sold some. I mean, I'm a be real man. That's probably the saddest flamethrower that's ever existed. Oh, really? It's so true. Yeah. (laughs) I I, like it's almost like a a disservice to real flamethrowers. Yeah. It's really (laughs) like a. He just sold a really big butane torch, is what it is. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's that's what it shot a flame that like was a foot or two in front of it at most. And, and that was looked it. like a gun. And it was, it yeah, was it, yeah. But so I think the Demogorgon would probably just laugh, laugh at you if you had that. <laughs> Do you think but, they can laugh with that mouth? Oh man! Anyway, if they try. It's got to be ungodly. It would be haunting. <laughs> <laughs> but they also have uh, a significant regenerative ability, and that if any raw damage that they do take, they're able to regenerate that sustained damage relatively quickly. Doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. Yeah. Uh, Demogorgons also do appear to possess a limited level of telekinesis. I believe we only see this once, maybe two times in the show. The most specific example of this is this. They're able to, like, unlock a door from the inside. Is that oh, that's right. Perked up I when I said that. the D&D one had telekinesis? Yeah. I thought that was, a, that was a pretty neat one. I wonder if that, like, connection was on purpose. Yeah, I it was just tangential to the story of the actual show. I didn't even put it together until you just mentioned it because I totally forgot that they could do that. It's a very but, missable scene. Yeah. Like, when you when you said that, I was like, they do? When? I had to like scan through my memory banks and I was like, Oh yeah, they they do, do that in the first season. They never <laughs> really do it again, but they do it in the first season. Maybe they really just suck at it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or that uh, was that maybe... one demo gorgon's like specialty like he really was like i want to be good at telekinesis and that was as far as he got like he got picked on as a kid for being like smaller than the other demogorgon so he's like well i'm gonna train in some in some magic and telekinetics Uh and all he could do was unlock a door but he felt so good about it (laughs) it was the greatest accomplishment of his life (laughs) never need keys again think of the convenience he did that during his uh like talent show and everything he's like guys look what i can do and I was like, wow, good for you. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> you know that girl in like the real world? She can like rip people in half. It's crazy. <laughs> Get you good, man. <laughs> But uh, it is kind of interesting to note also is that although they do not appear to have like any really sensory organs on them at all, like re- literally their face is just their mouth. They don't have yeah. any ears or eyes or a nose or anything. It appears that they have a strong attraction to blood. And this is like so strong that they appear to sense it over long distances, maybe even interdimensionally. And yeah. most of, if not all of the attacks in season one are kind of spurred on by somebody being like cut or blood being lost or that type of thing. And then the Dwemic organ either pulls that person into the upside down or they start rampaging. Right. 
And I think they make it like an association. I think mainly just because of the ability. I don't think they actually are saying that it is affiliated with it, but they make an association to uh, sharks because of that. And that like it acts a lot like a shark does in water where like it can smell blood from like a really far distance away and make its way over to it. Funny enough, mm-hmm. I was going to say, step aside sharks, we got a new yeah. Uh, yeah. guy with blood sense, and uh, they can do it's... it interdimensionally. Exactly, right? I mean, hey, you don't know, sharks might be able to do it interdimensionally as well. I guess we just get some, uh, uh, what was, I almost said granite, what is it? Uh, what's that? Quartz? And they can just yeah. Oh, yeah. interdimensional <laughs> travel. Just just teleporting around. Quartz, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know it. So, it is is pretty interesting, is that, like, we mentioned before the they do share the kind of defining similarity of being able to travel interdimensionally and that's a pretty big parallel with the D version yeah though i wanted to kind of get you guys's opinion on this is that the creators of the show pretty much made it clear that the demogorgon is not like a very high high level thinking being it's a pretty right. like just like it's basically just a predator you know mm-hmm. as they put it just quoting from them uh demogorgon is an interdimensional being that has more in common with the shark from jaws than pennywise from it when the monster enters our dimension it's like a shark breaching the water and very much like a shark it drags its prey back to its home where it feeds so it just sounds like they make it sound like it's acting exclusively off of instinct and right. Uh, it could very well be that when they kind of wrote out season one and maybe two is that this is all that they thought about is that the Demogorgon had a limited ability to kind of like tear holes in the fabric of reality and slip through dimensions. But as we progress through the show, and maybe this is just the story evolving, or maybe this was something that they thought of, I, I can't say for sure, is that we're introduced to kind of greater beings specifically like in season four we have vecna who is able to more definitively kind of tear holes and create gateways to the upside downs so i was just wondering do you think that the demogorgon was acting independently in like season one or do you think that maybe it was vecna kind of tearing holes for the demogorgon and maybe even like uh taking control of it to a certain extent to do what it was trying to do uh brad what are your thoughts on that <laughs> well not not talking about that but that actually is, that's actually a name that i do recognize from yeah, D&D, yeah from D&D he is a D&D D&D guy. gathering yeah all of the uh and that's actually something that i think is kind of neat about the show all of the big bads and enemies and things like that that they encounter in the show they use D names for to exp- to like kind of describe them and get a kind of uh correlation to something else that yeah. people are somewhat familiar with mm-hmm. so yeah vecna is also a D thing yeah, that so exists but also a mind player yeah. yeah like a super powerful lich that's like basically like god status yeah so mm-hmm. i can't tell you anything about uh <laughs> stranger things but i can tell you all about the D version um in my opinion i feel like the the Demogorgon in season one may have been getting some amount of like direction or like prompting or like mm-hmm. push 
from Vecna slash the Mind Flayer to go and do what it was doing, but I think mostly it was doing it on its own. I think especially its ability is its, is its own unique thing that it can do by itself. Reason being is I think that Vecna in season four, his whole thing is trying to generate those gateways himself because he can't do it himself. He's trying to figure out how to, but he's never been able to figure it out. Elle has oh. always done it herself. She's yeah. She's been the person that's made every gateway so far. And so he's been trying to figure it out throughout the entire show. And finally, season four, he does kind of figure out how to do it. But I think if he was the one who was doing that for the Demodog or Demogorgons and like he was the one making the gateway to get it back and forth between worlds, then that kind of invalidates his whole struggle with season four. Unless his whole thing was that he could make like temporary ones but can't make permanent gateways. Thinking it was a possibility, yeah. Yeah, so that's a possibility, but I feel like if he could make temporary gateways but not permanent ones, then why would he still be in the upside down? Why wouldn't he just jump back to the main world? automatically right unless he just like really likes the upside down i feel like he would just go himself to the regular world and do whatever he needs to in the regular world rather than like having to like weird like telekinesis jump mentally to the regular world and do things and then jump back so i think it's just a unique ability that the demogorgons have for some reason like innately they can do it and both the mind flare and vecna were just trying kind of kind of like trying to figure out okay how is he doing this? Like, let's get him to jump back and forth between worlds a lot so we can try and, like, figure out what he's doing and then come to find out they were like, all right, well, what he does doesn't help us at all. So let's focus on L because we know that she's done something that would help us. And so that was when they shifted their gaze over to L and started using her more specifically. Yeah. That's my thoughts. No, that's, uh, that's very valid. And I... I think that's one of my like main kind of fascinations after seeing season four is I wonder like how does the hierarchy kind of work in the upside yeah. down? Like where did like the, cause we have like the mind flare, which is basically like this kind of uh cloud that's just kind of stumbled upon by Vecna basically. And he does shape it into what he kind of wanted it to be, but right. Is the the mind flare still kind of independent of itself, or is it really just Vecna pulling all these strings? You know, and like, how do like Demogorgons kind of fit into this? Do they have like a greater connection than just kind of linked mind to the mind? I I think from especially kind of based off of what you just said, it makes me feel like I think the mind flare is kind of the battery, and Vecna might be like kind of the brains behind the operation, like. Vecna mm-hmm. is the person or is the being that gave the mind flare a purpose before that it was just like a kind of ambiguous thing doing its own thing had no real goals and then Vecna showed up and Vecna didn't have the power to do what he needed to but he had the the goal he had the drive to do it so he mm-hmm. like, came to the mind flare like yo I got this plan you back me give me the strength to do it and we can take things to a whole nother level and so like the mind flare is kind of, it is the mind flare's goal slash hit the mind flare that's doing all this stuff. But like Vecna is the one who's spearheading the plan. He's the one who's coming up with the plans and the mind flare is just like backing him every step of the way. It's kind of the vibe I get. That makes sense. Yeah. No, so. I, I think uh, that's definitely a possibility and I hope we get to really see what's going on in season Agreed. five. Very psyched. Yeah. It's very interesting and like, especially 
which I feel bad, Brad. This is probably this is probably all so very confusing because the story from season one felt very simple and very mundane. Like not like in a bad mm-hmm. way. It felt very like close to home and like felt very backyard horror story kind of like thing, which is very right. cool and like it made it feel very very cool. But I love how they've also then like kind of as the seasons have progressed, like taking it to it makes sense. Like the story has logically like escalated, but like not to a we, we, like a direction that felt unnatural. Like it's yeah. constantly continued to get more yeah, large scale, fine. but in a normal fashion, it feels it's, like to me. It sounds like a completely different show than season one. Yeah, now, it is, is very not, different. Not a bad thing, but I'm but. just like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all kind of feel that way after every season. Uh-huh. Every season, they add a new thing, and you're like, "What the heck is that? That's wild!" Is, uh, so cool. Like you were saying, is that like it's almost like after every season, or with every season, we're kind of zooming out uh-huh. with the camera lens. You know, is that first we have demogorgons, and then we have like this whole like life cycle, and like all these other creatures in this like big bad in like season two. And right. then we have like the mind flare proper in season right. three, and then we have Vecna, season four. So what's waiting for us in season five? Right? Man? Yeah. Crazy. If, if Vecna molds or melds with the mind flare, they they combine into one super creature, and they become a Tarask, the strongest creature in D and D. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Them's fighting words, man. Careful. <laughs> Uh okay so maybe not the strongest I've been I've been told otherwise but a very strong creature in D and D they'll okay. combine and make a mat a super creature yes that's that's my guess definitely not gonna happen but it would be very funny if it did well we'll just have to wait and see with that one but with this I think uh, this kind of puts a nice cap on yeah. this episode on Demogorgons was a pretty interesting journey that we went from primordial deity to demon prince and then to kind of flower monster flower monster thing that's going to deglove your face yeah so it's it's been a pretty pretty awesome ride and i loved researching this one honestly and degloving is just the most disgusting thought it, ever it, <laughs> it's it's gross i hate it but uh thank you all for watching and for listening and okay so I'm pretty sure anybody that's listening to this that has watched Stranger Things probably watched it with somebody else. So maybe recommend this podcast to the person you watched it with. Watch cool. Stranger Things in a room with the lights at maximum brightness all alone. <laughs> that's the way I like to watch. <laughs> the proper way to watch it. <laughs> yeah, as someone that hasn't seen seasons two through four, I am definitely more inclined to watch it now. So it is very, very cool. They've they've Good. definitely like I liked season one. It was a cool story, but like if they had tried to just continue the exact same kind of like vibe as season one was, I don't think it would have done well. And the no. fact that they have kind of like escalated slash like moved things in different directions and like kind of branched out the story every time, it makes it feel very good every season. And it makes it like actually it worth feels watching. Very fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Which so I would recommend it for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I, I mean, if the you're gonna watch Stranger Things with another person, maybe, maybe recommend the podcast as well. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, also drop us a rating. You know, a crispy five stars if you think we deserve it. Wow. And... Five stars. You're shooting for the moon. Oh, you got it. <laughs> 
Um, you can also check us out on TikTok and Twitter. And our Twitter handle is at VanquishersPod. You can ask us all sorts of questions or you could recommend us monsters. Maybe we'll pick your favorite one to do next. That'd be pretty cool. But with that, just uh, another big thank you for listening. And we will catch you guys with another epic monster next week. Bye.